Hello, my name's Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And this week, we're going to be, you know, jumping on the bandwagon <laughs> of a director who has a new movie out... That, that just flopped hard. <laughs> $600,000. Yeah. We're talking about Nicholas Winding Refn. And I'm going to say up front, of all the directors that we've talked about on this podcast, this is the one that I probably have the least strong feelings about. Really? I And it's weird, because I feel like... He's a divisive director. People love him or hate him. I fall exactly in the middle, I think. Well, we watched two movies for this podcast, Drive and Fear X. I didn't rewatch Drive. (laughs) (laughs) But I did watch uh, Valhalla Rising, and uh, the two of us went to see The Neon Demon together. But when you talked about Drive earlier, you said that when it came out, you loved it. I did love it. It's kind of the only Nicholas Winding Refn film that I've had strong feelings about. It was, you know, dorks like us. We always do our top 10 movies of the year list at the end of the year. And it was number two on mine. Number two? Uh, Number one was Tree of Life and uh, (laughs) number three was Meek's Cutoff. So pretty heady territory (laughs) for for Drive to be in. Uh, Or a pretentious list of a film snob. You're not a Terrence Malick fan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure, I guess. Mm. Well, I... I saw Drive in the Theater when it came out, and I just watched it recently, doing my due diligence for this podcast. Here's the thing. I am not an expert in Nicholas Winding Refn. Well, so, neither am I. So rather than just waste my time revisiting a movie I've already seen, I wanted to, like, you know, see some movies I hadn't seen. Well, we should talk about him a little bit, because... He really blew up on the scene with Drive, but he had been making movies for a long time since then. He actually started in 1996 with a festival darling called Pusher. Mm -hmm. And for people that don't know what it is, it's about a guy that, through some complex situations, gets in a bind, he's in a drug dealer, and he has a bunch of adventures. Mm -hmm. I rewatched the movie for this podcast a few days ago, and the same feelings I had the first time I saw it uh, remained, which were, I don't like it very much. Okay, it's a whole trilogy too, right? Yes, it is. But the way that it was made was very interesting, which was that part two and three were only made because uh, Refn went bankrupt making Fear X, right. which was his first Hollywood movie. Which I have seen now. I watched it right before coming here. So Pusher is really made his name. And it's actually kind of interesting because he made a short film and that short film kind of blew up and got him the money to make Pusher. But at the same time, you have to remember that Refn kind of comes from, I don't want to say cinematic royalty, but in that family. His father has edited almost all the famous Lars von Trier films. Mm -hmm. And if unless I'm mistaken, his mother is a cinematographer. From this, he made Pusher. He got the support that he needed. Mm-hmm. And then he made another movie called Bleeder, which I really enjoy. And by the way, if Ruffin were to say that he came from cinematic royalty, he'd probably say something along the lines of, I was incubated in, in the scrotum of cinema and ejaculated uh, um, in, into greatness. You know, he'd say something <laughs> ridiculous like that. While he was doing his Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All of my European accents are exactly the same. I know you, the listeners, are used to me doing, like, dead-on, rich little-style impressions of these filmmakers. That's not the case today. Um, So he made Bleeder, uh, which is a film I like. Um, I remember mentioning that to somebody else. I was like, I like um, Bleeder a lot. And the person who's a big fan of Pusher and Drive was like, ugh. I don't like that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's one that doesn't really get talked about. I specifically remember it because there's a scene where Mads Mikkelsen plays a video store clerk. And someone asks him, oh, what are really good movies? Or what are good directors? And he just lists for like a minute, like uh, Jodorowsky, John Woo, and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember reading an interview with a Refn where he said, oh, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> I should have put my name in there. Oh, boo. 
Because <laughs> that would have been a funny joke. We said this last week, but I just want it on the record of this week's podcast, uh, since this is the one that future generations will hear, that supposedly on the set of his new movie, The Neon Demon, instead of saying action, he said, let's fuck. Right. But we'll get to The Neon Demon at the end of the podcast, because that Ugh. feels like a... You want to talk about it now? No, no, keep going, keep going. Let's do this chronologically. All right, so let's talk about Fear X, which is... He put all his money in. He's like, this will be my breakthrough movie. Meh, that's what I say. Meh. And what is it about, Will? Um, John Turturro plays a Paul Blart-style mall cop <laughs> who, whose wife uh, was killed under mysterious circumstances and who now kind of drifts, drifts through life uh, in a state of malaise and ennui, uh, occasionally busting a shoplifter, um, but generally being a very unpleasant presence at the mall. And he's trying to find out who killed his wife and why his wife was killed. And then finally, uh, the police come up with some leads. Um, they they find out, they find a picture of the person who killed his wife, which leads uh, John Turturro on a web of intrigue uh, to find the person who... Spoiler? Should we spoil it? Sure. If you haven't watched it at this point, are you going to watch it now? Yeah, like... a forgotten middling Nicholas Winding Refn movie from 15 years ago. Um, uh, it turns out to be a, a policeman uh, who killed his wife by accident. Played by James Remar. Right. Uh, quite well, I think. Yes. Um, and uh, his superiors basically tell him that we need to keep this under wraps because we can't in a rather didactic speech, uh, saying that we can't we can't let news of corruption get out into the world. And when this happens, um, when it's finally revealed why John Turturro's wife was killed, it's kind of like, what? Okay, I guess. Also, I mean, it plays out, compared to the movies that Ruffin is making now, it plays out fairly conventionally uh, in kind of a an arid um, European art house style. Well, it feels like a direct response to the Pusher and Bleeder films, mm -hmm. because while those ones were all shot handheld and had jump cuts and stuff like this, this one is very well composed, doing his biggest Kubrick uh, uh, imitation right. that he can Kubrick. do. It was only a matter of time before Kubrickian came <laughs> up on this episode, isn't it? And... Just basically nothing really happens in the movie. But also John Turturro gets weird visions. Um, and, and this is where the Refn touches come in. Um, I, I don't know if these scenes are... Uh, good? Yeah, good. Or if they're integrated particularly well. And the movie ends on kind of an ambiguous note. Uh, the movie is quite slow. Well, I was going to say either you buy into it either you it it casts a spell on you and you go with it or you find it boring but i feel like i, I was in the i middle. wasn't either yeah i like for the first 30 minutes i'm like you know i'm digging this yeah I, yeah i remembered watching it before i wonder where it goes and then it ended and i went oh yeah that's right it doesn't go anywhere it's very anticlimactic and i feel like the mood is not quite potent enough to get me going i liked john turturro great to see john turturro in a lead i don't know it's just not that much to go it's on. just not that interesting yeah and when this movie failed like i mentioned uh, it kind of forced Refn to go make Pusher 2 and 3. Um, and those were kind of big festival hits again, which gave him the juice to make more movies. Like like the big festival hit Valhalla Rising. Was that a festival hit? I thought it was I, pretty divisive. Was it? Okay, well, I don't fucking know. <laughs> what, did you like that one? <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought it was okay. I, I liked it better than Fear X, let's put it that way. Yeah, Valhalla Rising, once again, for the thir first 30 minutes, I'm like, ooh, I like where this is going. Yeah, a big rugged kind of, uh, you know, down and dirty thriller. Um, and then it's Mads Mikkelsen as a as a one-eyed um, ex-prisoner in, when is this movie set? Who knows? Like olden times. Yeah. Uh, olden times Europe, and uh, he's, he's led on a journey basically to hell. Mm -hmm. um, with and it's... 
pretty much as little interesting as you could get for this kind of journey. I think so, but you know, it it has the weird refn colors, the kind of neon and the and the red and all that. Did you know that refn is colorblind? I did know that. And that's why the colors are usually so vivid in his films because he can't see them as, unless they're that vivid. You know what? I like I think this is like getting to the heart of um my opinion about refn. I like the visual style of his films. Um but I think that's kind of it. And what's weird is for such a provocateur, for somebody who puts such kind of ugly violence and um, and stuff like that in his movies, I never really feel anything. Well, this is a big problem with a lot of his films, I feel, especially with the Neon Demon, where he's like, I just want to make something shocking. I want to shock the audience. But it's like the audience is not going to like the movie you're making mm-hmm. up until those shocking points happen. Yeah. So I think that the reason that Drive is so successful is that because it does structure his preoccupations with something that's a little bit more genre oriented. Yeah, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, I think Ryan Gosling is a great actor for Raffin, who's th- this kind of, I don't want to say a blank, but a, uh, just a totally deadpan, pretty looking guy who has kind of an effortless cool to him. Mm-hmm who's a reactive character and has, yeah, has a natural charisma. Yeah. Well, we kind of skipped to Bronson, which is a movie. That oh, which I really a, like. Yeah. yeah. And that movie is totally made by Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah. In a star making role. That's the one where he plays uh, the prisoner um, who, mm-hmm. who basically thinks of himself as it's almost like being a prisoner is an art form to him. So, uh, and all he does repeatedly throughout the movie is challenge his guards to fight. And he's kind of a psychopath, but he thinks of himself as like this great showman in prison. And Tom Hardy is amazing in it. I mean, this is kind of the movie that solidified Tom Hardy as a... He wasn't just the guy that played Jean-Luc Picard's clone in <laughs> Star Trek Nemesis anymore. Right. So first of all, you rewatched Drive. Yes, I did. How did it hold up? Uh, I thought it held up just as good as I remember it um, holding up. And there's something that I noticed this time that I didn't the first time, which is, for people that haven't seen Drive, why would you be listening to this podcast? (laughs) Yeah, you've seen it. Come on. It's that Ryan Gosling plays this super cool dude throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And I remember bringing it up with a pal of mine where I said, I just rewatched Drive, and I love the fact that Ryan Gosling is cool. And the person interrupted me and went, yeah, but you know, he can get angry like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And there's like anger bubbling up inside of him and i said yeah but the way that i kind of perceived it was that he's more like a child in the way that he reacts to things huh, that's interesting and it, it's specifically there's a scene where he kills the guy in the um in the elevator after he's shaking like a child that just had a tantrum mm-hmm. and doesn't know how to like react to the situation that just happened mm-hmm. and that's what i found really interesting whether that's on purpose or not i don't know I love Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks is great in the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit cliche to say. That's what I say every episode. But, <laughs> but uh, Make but, up t-shirts, people. Yeah. Send them to Important Cinema Club, P.O. Box. But, you know, Refn is somebody, obviously, like Quentin Tarantino, who takes, you know, the trash tropes and kind of takes what he likes from them and supercharges them. So, you know, Drive, it's like, well, Michael Mann isn't trash, but he kind of takes a certain Michael Mann aesthetic and a certain kind of... I don't know, like William Lustig aesthetic, you know, 80s thrillers. Well, um, William Lustig, the director of Maniac, Maniac Cop, Uncle Sam, mm-hmm. um, actually was the one who released the first pusher. Mm. He uh, does commentary on the original DVD with Nicholas mm-hmm. Winding Refn, and uh, Refn also does commentary with Lustig on Maniac Cop 2. And also on his porn films. Yeah, what I don't remember what they were called. I can't, Hot Honey, I think, was one of them. And it's when William Lustig pretended to be, uh, his pseudonym was Billy Bragg. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I think the aesthetic that Lustig gravitates towards, which is kind of like neon colors and pulsating 
80s techno music. I like that aesthetic. And I like that Refn does a really kind of aggressive version of that aesthetic. I just wish they were more fun sometimes. Yeah, well, but it's kind of like, how far is just liking that aesthetic going to get me with his movies? But it, it, I've <laughs> always wondered about this when I watch these types of films sometimes where I go, why don't they do more? Uh, what, what do you mean in this case? In, in not specifically Drive, because Drive is fine. Even though I remember articles popping up at the time that someone like tried to sue a movie theater because... Oh, well, somebody tried to sue the movie theater because this person went in expecting a movie like Fast and Furious, which is how it had been marketed. Yep. But instead it was more of a uh, slow... Um, yeah, a slower movie. Well, and and the uh, source... I don't think the lawsuit got anywhere. <laughs> no. And the source material for Drive was at one point going to be adapted as a franchise film starring Hugh Jackman okay. before Refn got involved. Yeah. So as far as doing more, not physically with Drive, but um, something like uh, the Neon Demon, which we just saw, mm-hmm. or even Fear X. Mm-hmm. Like, is is he taking the less is more approach here? I mean, we just watched an interview accidentally while we were going over on YouTube where Reffin himself says, uh, less is more. No, he said, we, we were trying to, we were looking up a YouTube video to find out how to pronounce his name. <laughs> and we just caught him saying, in cinema, it's what's unseen that is important. Uh, just, just this wanna... is a good example that we talked about it last week, but he says a lot of bullshit, right? Uh, like, he's full of shit. Yeah, for sure. I, well, I mean, he really loves himself. Uh, I mean, in this new movie, The Neon Demon, like, the opening title, it's it, like, there's a huge... It, monogrammed uh, yeah like it actually has uh the letters nwr under the title what of is the he movie. trying to do like what is he trying to do was trying to impose himself on these movies does he want people to like him more is that well it? i mean i guess i guess he's very brand conscious like he wants to be uh you know he wants to be thought of as a great filmmaker <laughs> yeah but putting your name out there over and over again just makes you look like a jackass yes like lars von trier or someone exactly lars von trier does it uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean um but when you say you want to see more from his movies, do you mean like you want a more interesting plot? You want more... I want to be more engaged. Sure. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, because I, I found his recent movies, um, Only God Forgives and uh, the new one, Neon Demon. It's just like it's just like kind of pretty pictures and nothing else to really engage me. So I mean, as I'm going along, I like looking at the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the stuff that he's doing with color. Like in this new one, I think he does a lot of interesting things with lens flare. Um, um, I, 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 like you have to approach them in a specific way that asks you to take a distance from them because uh-huh. you don't care what the fuck is going on in no. these movies. So how like how far does just mood get you? Uh, obviously not that far. Yeah, like w- people talk about Dario Argento a lot, and I think you've gone on record saying you're not that big a fan no and you find a lot of his movies boring yes but he does at least more stuff than nicholas reffin does like i don't know how i would compare the two <laughs> I, I like i would say with this one so this new one the neon demon first of all we we watched this movie we didn't talk about after because we wanted to save our great conversation for you the listener but i feel like i've already lost interest in the movie really <laughs> yeah it's like ugh, just feels so anticlimactic at this point to talk about it but but what did you think of it so i liked it <laughs> I went in thinking that it was homework. I basically, I'm like, we're doing this podcast. We have to see this movie. Mm-hmm. And we kind of sat down and I was like, ugh. I was like, can I see something else instead? Like The Shallows? I'll just say I didn't have time to see it. <laughs> like, Listen to that. The Shallows, you friggin' film Twitter hipster. <laughs> and I was like, fine, I'll watch it. And within the first 10 minutes, I was like, I don't like this. 
I would say that for the first hour, I was kind of into it. Because like I say, I like the images. I like this techno techno music. I like the neon. I like the lens flare. But at a certain point, I started to kind of interpret it as, oh, this feels like a bad Italian exploitation movie. Well, you compared it to, you said it's like a Jess Franco film. Yes. Specifically a movie like uh, Vampiro's Lesbos, where it's just this kind of slow paced. Um, nothing happens. Yeah, nothing happens. The images are kind of neat and everybody acts in this kind of uh, stilted way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very male gazy, even though Ruffin is clearly smashing the patriarchy with this new film. <laughs> but for a film to have a balls to be two hours, mm. and at the end of the yeah. day, it's a fucking episode of Tales from the Crypt. That's right. all it is. Right. And I don't think um, whatever it was saying, so let's just say what it's about. Yeah. So it's about a, a young girl comes to LA to be a model. And geez, modeling is corrupt and terrible. And um, beauty is everything. And, and there are cares. some kind of, there are... A few heavy-handed satirical touches, like there's this one model character who talks about all the plastic surgery she's had. She doesn't actually look like she's had a lot of plastic no, surgery. No, she doesn't. So I guess that's part of the joke. Um, but she's talking talks about all the nips and tucks she has, and there's a there's another scene where one of the big photographers is talking about how beauty is the only thing. Watching this kind of movie, <sighs> it doesn't make me go like, man, he's really sticking it to the man, dropping well, those truth bombs left and well, right. Well, I mean, these points, his satiric swipes of the fashion industry, I, f- I feel like are just so old hat. Um, as for the tone of the movie, the movie kind of feels like if John Waters thought he was David Lynch. You think so? Yeah, because like all I of... I think you're giving him a lot more credit than he deserves. Well, I'm not saying he actually succeeds okay. in either being John Waters or David Lynch. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that thing where everything, you know, all the hotel rooms look really kind of tacky and uh, have ridiculous wallpaper and weird bed sheets. Um, but and, you know, there's... One... And when John Waters does it, it's to create this kind of like hilarious counter aesthetic. But when Refn does it... It's like he's trying to he's trying to be moody and dreamlike. So I feel like he's when he's looking for laughs in all the wrong places in this movie. Like his his satiric shots of the fashion industry aren't funny, but his aesthetic is funny. But he doesn't seem <laughs> to find his aesthetic funny. You don't think that there's like humor in the way that he shoots things, or the way that when people talk, there's like five second pauses between each like line. I mean, I guess it's I guess it's supposed to be funny in that Lynchian way. Yeah, I don't think he. I don't think it works. Yeah, I don't see. That's why I kind of once I glommed on to that like oh it's like a bad. You know, Euro trash film. Mm-hmm. I could enjoy it more on that level. Yeah. So that's probably not giving him enough credit. But then again, a lot of the movies that um, Refn likes are not the movies that people would out and out enjoy. Okay, so this is the thing that I like about Refn. I like that, like Quentin Tarantino, he's an advocate for weird exploitation movies. But unlike Tarantino, Refn goes for the kind of really abrasive, off-the-beaten-path independent movies. So he he's bought... Uh, he's a collector of the films of Andy Milligan, who is about as abrasive a filmmaker as you can get. He's like Ed Wood if Ed Wood was just utterly unwatchable and hated the world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and he's much more inept than Ed Wood. Uh, yes. Or... Or also, um, Refn is responsible for rediscovering and helping to restore this movie called The Astrologer, which is... I don't know how you would even describe it. Like, it's this weird vanity project by this kind of insane man who fled the country for fraud. Um, Or Refn also is now helping to restore the films of Joe Sarno, who is... You hate Joe Sarno. I don't hate him. I appreciate what Joe Sarno is trying to do, but I don't like watching his movies. Joe Sarno is kind of like if Ross Meyer thought he was Ingmar Bergman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
and he makes these yeah really boring kind of moody sexploitation films black very black and white <laughs> yes <laughs> and at, and then there's other things like he's a huge fan one of his favorite horror films of all time is uh, Night Tide directed by Curtis Harrington who's like the forgotten Roger Corman mm-hmm. alumni who mostly worked in television but Night Tide is I believe Dennis Hopper's first starring role mm-hmm. which is a super slow uneventful mood piece about a guy who falls in love with a woman that ends up being a murdering mermaid or is she <laughs> or also I, I listened to the commentaries that Reffin did with William Lustig on those porn films and uh, on one of them it starts with Reffin going well I'm here with a great American filmmaker William Lustig and you know I love any I sounded Brooklyn when I was <laughs> <Yeah. doing that. laughs> I don't know what that I, I don't know are you doing some kind of president <laughs> I, I sounded like Bernie I, Sanders yeah. Right. The top one percent of <laughs> that's Arnold Schwarzenegger again. <laughs> the top one. Anyway, the the um, I just like any guy on some level. I like any guy who can call William Lustig a great American filmmaker. I mean, he seems really passionate about these things, which, as I said multiple times on a past episode, that really endears me to a filmmaker. And like, that's kind of what I like about his movies: the fact that he takes these. You know, it's not like Tarantino where he takes fun kung fu movies and spaghetti westerns. Ruffin takes some of the tropes uh, and ideas from really abrasive and ugly and hard to watch exploitation films. So I kind of like that. Yeah, but you still don't like having to watch them. Well, I mean, again, I don't really fall one way or another on it. I'm I, I'm glad I saw the Neon Demon. There's stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there that I like. I I probably lean more towards the negative on it. I remember when the movie was coming out, they announced it as him making a slasher film. And Uh, I recall that when that logline came out, I was like, no, there's no way that he's doing that. (laughs) It's not going to be that easy. So we're kind of mixed on him, but um, why did did you, you were interested in doing this episode? And I think you were interested in it as just like him as an example of hype. Yeah, uh, specifically when Drive came out, is that people really jumped onto his bandwagon. And when the Neon Demon uh, was first announced and the trailer started playing, I remember people on Facebook were like, I already found my new favorite film of whatever. You can't tell me what... That you're not going to like it, because I'm going to love it! Okay, well, that's funny, because I feel like I'm following a lot of people on the film Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate that phrase. Um, but a lot of people who just hate Raffin now. And in fact... I, I think it's because he got too popular, though. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. That's part of it. And also, I think a lot of these people were people who overpraised Drive when it came out. And so, and Only God Forgives came out, you know, two years after Drive and ended up being kind of... Um, I think a lot of people perceived it as being all of his douchiest tendencies in one movie. So it almost felt like a betrayal for mm. some people. And yeah, the fact that Nicholas Winding Refn carries himself as, oh, I'm this great filmmaker. I have NWR under the title of my film. Supposedly Ryan Gosling, when he introduced the Neon Demon at its premiere in the Hollywood uh, Forever kind of cemetery, mm-hmm. he uh, read the email that Refn had sent him to read as an introduction. And it was like, Ryan, please say I am a fantastic filmmaker <laughs> and that you've never worked with anybody so talented. <laughs> That's funny. And my friend who was there said that uh, Matthew Kumar, uh, co-host of the Loose Cannons podcast. Oh yeah, it's a good podcast. Said that, whoa, I was hoping that you were going to throw in like uh, you'd that clown I or want, that hack. You know what? I want to stop the feud. Okay. Oh, you're a bigger man. I'm than, a bigger man. Than... Even though that Matthew never feuded with you. <laughs> I don't even think he acknowledged you. Yeah. Um, he said that Refin, when Gosling was saying that, seemed 
genuinely like angry that he would do that. Wow. And kind of like puncture that illusion that Refn has or is trying to build around him. Okay, well, I mean, the illusion is just like he's a total fraud. I don't think anybody's buying the illusion. Unless you're like a guy that's... um, (laughs) Unless you're just a teen in high school and, like, you just saw Boondock Saints and love it but want to move right. on to something else. Well, I'm sad that Raffin and Ryan Gosling are possibly no longer friends. <laughs> no, I think they're friends, but Gosling mm-hmm. takes no shit when it comes to Raffin. Sure. There's actually a really good documentary that Raffin's... Okay, good is probably being very generous. Mm-hmm. Interesting documentary uh, that Raffin's wife directed called My Life with Nicholas... Uh, My w- Life Directed by Nicholas Winding Raffin. And it's about the challenges he had making Only God Forgives and how it really destroyed him when the bad reviews happened. Mm-hmm. And then he just... There's a scene where he's just sitting in bed reading all the um, like taglines from the reviews and just being like, oh my God, I can't believe they said this mm-hmm. or that. Like He's very self-conscious to the point that when he was making Neon Demon, he said he would call um, Jodorowsky, the famed filmmaker of The Holy Mountain, and ask and get a tarot reading every week. <laughs> well, you know, Only God Forgives, by the way, was dedicated to Jodorowsky. And, um... But don't forget the Neon Demon was also dedicated oh. to his wife. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, hang on. I'll get to that. But, but I think um, dedicating movie to Jodorowsky, like... Maybe Nicholas Winning Refn meant it to be seen as this, you know, beautiful gesture for to to a great filmmaker. But really, what it comes across as, oh, look at this douche trying to like help his brand by saying I'm the next Jodorowsky. Do you think that's what he's trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I think when he when you dedicate a movie to Jodorowsky, um, basically what you're saying is, well. I'm like the heir to him. Like, I deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as him. And and this is the kind of guy who influences my filmmaking. So it it looks kind of unbecoming. And by the way, as for the Neon Demon being dedicated to Liv, um, so it, it says to Liv at the end of the film. And apparently somebody at the Cannes premiere yelled, fuck you, Liv. <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting is where is Refn going to go from here, right? Because he seems to drive gave him a lot of cachet in the industry. And I remember at the time he was going to direct Wonder Woman at one point. Oh, I'd like to see that. <laughs> or he was going to make an adaptation of Jodorowsky's and Mobius's The Inkle, huh. which is a crazy, it's kind of like uh, Mobius was the template that Luc Besson used to make the fifth element. And The Inkle is that times, which is the original source, times a thousand. Like, it's insane. Mm-hmm. And um, for a long time, he was going to make Logan's Run. He actually worked in pre-production on it for a year. Mm-hmm. And supposedly what happened was that at a certain point he went, you know what? I love the original too much. What am I going to bring to this remake? Wow. And I don't know if you guys have seen Logan's Run. Not a very good movie. Yeah, it's not great. I don't (laughs) think it's aged very well. Uh, I'm curious where he would go from here because I feel like Only God Forgives and The Neon Demon are the two most refiniest refin movies that he's made yet. They're, for better or worse, they're just totally uncompromising personal visions. They're not very interesting to watch. Yeah, they're not very interesting. And I think they've really shown kind of... um, the limits of him as a thinker. <laughs> yeah, I've been say. reading that a lot lately is that people are like, well, Refn's not a very deep thinker. Yeah, I think he comes across as kind of dumb, but he his images are still very potent. Mm-hmm. I like, as I said, I like his aesthetic. I would be interested, again, in seeing him do something a little more genre-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, Even if it's just like an actual slasher film mm-hmm. or something that like, I don't know. That makes me want to watch it again. Yeah, something with something with a story I care about and characters that I care about. I, I'm also interested in seeing where his critical reputation evolves from here, because 
I guess in some circles, his reputation is more sterling than ever. But Really? Well, I mean, in the people that you follow on Twitter who say that they're going to love the Neon Demon. This one guy, and then okay. afterwards, he was very defensive about it. <laughs> okay, but then there are a, a lot of people on Twitter, the kind of, the intellectuals, if you will. Garbage people. I like, I, I, I... Are you talking about film Twitter? Yeah, well, I guess they are garbage people. <laughs> I'm trying to think, there are, there are a lot of critics I like who who have really turned on Nicholas Winding Ref and, I, and hate know, him. And I'm curious, like, where, where he goes from there. Will there ever be a backlash? I feel like this weekend, um, because this new movie, this, uh, this Neon Demon came out the same weekend as The Shallows by a guy who's... I, I forget what his name it's is. It's like Jean something... Anyway, a lot of the kind of film Twitter people have embraced this director as... I like him. I don't really know that much about him, but they've embraced him as this kind of like down and dirty, you know, solid... um, Explore kind of B-picture director. Yeah, and... I feel like, um, I don't know, if that director suddenly became... Like, su- he made his only God forgives? If he made his only God forgives, people might turn on him. Like, people people like the... Uh, that feels People almost... like the termite art more than they like the white elephant art. That makes that makes these people feel like, listen, I need to be intellectually superior to what you are making. Uh-huh. So it needs to be like a genre or a B picture. So then I can champion it yeah. without a problem. But how dare you try to make something... That's better than you. In that case, I'm going to cut you to the ground. I mean, listen, I think there's a little bit of that. I, I honestly think with this movie, The Shallows, I've seen The Shallows. I think it's perfectly fine. I think there's a little bit of um, intellectual slumming in, <laughs> in that the That seems to happen all the time. Yeah. It's like in, in the way, film Twitter. In the way that some people have overpraised this filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of, oh, look at how smart I am for finding the art in this humble B-movie filmmaker. All right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm not sold on Jean Collette or whatever. That's his name what it is. is. Jean, yeah. Jean, Jean Collette. What, whatever. Uh, but yeah, that's that's hey, all. nonstop. Tons of fun. I'm sure. I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's probably good. Yeah, an orphan as the well. The Shallows is perfectly watchable. It's no, um, you know, breathless. <laughs> okay. A lot of movies aren't breathless. Anyway, Nicholas Winding Refn. Final verdict. I say meh. Interesting. I wish I liked his movies more. Great. What are we doing next week? Next week, we're jumping back and we're going to do no work. Great. I love it. (laughs) And we're going to ride the nostalgia train to... um, Actually, it's going to be a lot of work because we're going to have to watch movies that we thought were awesome when we were kids and that we think will suck now. No, not that we think will suck now. That we know will suck now. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick... So it's garbage we liked as kids and I think I'm going to pick my favorite movie when I was nine years old. Please don't make me watch that. Life is beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, just watch like... You don't have to watch the whole thing. Just, like, skip around. What if it. I said, like, Boondock Saints or something like okay. that? Okay. I never liked Boondock okay. Saints. Okay, Life is Beautiful. Uh, yeah, I'll watch Boondock no, Saints. No, 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 I'm not making... I would love to talk about Boondock Saints. <laughs> watch watch the second half of Life is Beautiful. That's okay. what I'm interested in. Uh, when there's... Uh, I can't believe I remember this. But when there's a... Uh, that, like, time jump where it's, like, within yeah. a camera move. Yeah. And then you, you see the rollicking concentration camp farce. <laughs> and w- <laughs> what, what should I watch for you? Uh... I, I, I'm, I tried really hard about, like, a movie that I know is, like, not good. Uh-huh. So, like I said, like, Snatch. Because, like, has there any been anyone that's, like, lost... I'll watch Snatch. I've never seen it. Yeah, okay. So, watch Snatch. Oh, and by the way, if you don't want to watch Life is Beautiful, well, you should watch a bit of Life is Beautiful. But if you want a fun one to rewatch, what about Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> oh, yeah. How, how much did you love Super Mario Brothers? Oh, I love Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. You? Yeah. Why? Based on the brand? Like, just because you love the Mario game? I thought so the movie was super fun. <laughs> All right. Super Mario I Brothers. I still kind of like it. <laughs> 
Um, so that's what we're going to be watching next week. Um, if you have any questions or this feels like one, like uh, this episode we just did feels like one that we'll get a lot of ire about being like, you don't understand Refin or something like that. Who would say that? <laughs> there is People? nothing to understand. <laughs> I mean, our opinions were so, um, kind of meh. Yeah. I'm so, I'm sorry that we couldn't rouse any, uh, excitement. <laughs> um, send it to important cinema club podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to your letter, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing if you sent a letter in. Yeah. Um, or rate and review us on iTunes. Sure. Give us a review. All right. Well, that's all I have to say for now. My name's Justin Clue. My name's Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. But you know what was one of the great parts of Neon Demon? Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. I was happy to see him. You know what's weird? When I saw his name in the opening credits, of People course, applauded. But when he showed up, there was a big gasp in the theater. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that, like, it's because he hasn't been in movies for so long? Or, like... I guess so. I mean, he's... Yeah, he's one of those guys who is super famous. Like, everyone's seen The Matrix. Um, but, yeah, we don't see very much of him. Something happened in his career. I don't know. Do you, um, do you think Keanu Reeves is a good actor? No. No. I don't think so. Really? I well, think he's a good actor. I, I don't know. I shouldn't be so dogmatic about this. I feel like he has, over the years, figured out his range. Uh, which is very low, in your opinion. Yes, that's right. It's it's a very narrow range, like Vin Diesel or someone like that, to, to cite somebody of a very different body size. Did you see John Wick? I haven't seen John Wick. Oh, because he's so I know. good in I mean, John I'm Wick. I'm meaning to see it. I've heard good things. I've liked him in in stuff. Um, I think he's... There are a lot of bad performances early in uh, Keanu Reeves' career. I'm thinking specifically of Bram Stoker's Dracula. He's so bad in Bram Stoker's Terrible, Dracula. Where, where he does a British accent. What about My Own Private Idaho? He's good in that. Yeah. I mean... Uh, you know, I think he's serviceable. I like him in Bill and Ted. <laughs> yes. I was actually, weirdly enough, happy to see him when he showed up in The Neon Demon. He's actually also going to be in the film from the director of uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, yeah. Jim, starring... Jim Carrey's in that, too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited for that one. Yeah. But I think Keanu Reeves is not giving enough props. He's a very workmanlike, you know, dedicated to the craft actor. I, I also really liked him in Neon Demon. I think as the sleazy motel manager, I think he... Well, what surprised me is... As he's gotten older, he's actually become a very imposing presence on screen. He seems like a very kind of large man. Especially and, and in that movie. Yeah, he seemed like a little chunkier than he usually yeah, is. Yeah, and, and he just looked kind of like, he seemed scary compared to Elle Fanning or Elle Fanning's boyfriend in the movie, you know? He seemed an imposing figure next to them. So wait, was he the villain in The Gift or The Watcher? I always get those two confused. Well, I think he was in The Watcher, I know that. Um, <laughs> I've never seen The Gift. <laughs> the forgotten Sam Raimi film? Right. Um, known mostly for its Katie Holmes news scene. <laughs> yes. As popular, popularized in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man, but while we were watching The Neon Demon, how can people not shut up in a movie theater? Okay, we saw The Neon Demon with an audience that hated it. And this is the thing about The Neon <laughs> Demon. When I sat down to watch it and I looked in the sparsely attended theaters, mm -hmm. I was like, these people do not know what they're getting in for. They have no idea. The crowd was very, I would say, bro-y. And also there was a bit of hipster in it, yeah. too. Um, so it was kind of like, in terms of people talking through the movie and loudly expressing their disapproval, it was like the douchiest grindhouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I heard the people behind us cackling like it was dumb and dumber. Right. <laughs> Just so loud. And as the movie went on, it's a very silent film, specifically near the end. Some fuckers in the back of the audience were speaking at full volume. Yeah. Being like, I don't even remember what they were saying. 
but like giggling and laughing and screaming. Also, we saw the next day we went to see the new Johnny Toe film um, where the audience was exactly the same way. So <laughs> yes. I don't know. Maybe it's just an epidemic that's happening. Are we getting old? Is that it? <laughs> yeah, we're like... Because I feel like every generation starts talking about, oh, those kids who talk during movies. <laughs> but like, what can we do to like shut them up? I had an idea once at the... We... I'm just going to sit and fume like I always do. <laughs> at the laser blast is that we give people a little card. We like tap them on the shoulder and give them a card that says, please shut the fuck up. Yeah. But uh, someone dissuaded me from that, saying that it would just make the person much more angry. Right. Do you think so? Uh, what kind probably. Of gall, what kind of gall does it take to stand up in a movie theater and be like, I deserve to talk? Right. I agree. <laughs> you got nothing? You don't want to like... I, I, I don't have anything. I think it's bad to talk during movies. <laughs> I thought you would be more passionate about it. I just, you know, at this point, I've started to accept it as a fact of life. Most <laughs> most movies I go to, I don't get a lot of talking at because, you know, I, I'm kind of smart. I go to the art house movies a lot and usually it's old people there who... But they I, talk oh, all oh, the time. Sorry. No, you're right. They're the worst. <laughs> yeah, the they old... are the worst. <laughs> I think someone I remember read a tweet or something like that, that they went to go see Wiener Dog, the movie. <sighs> and then when the Wiener Dog appeared, the person leaned over and went, that's the Wiener Dog. <laughs> Well, no, that's a meme on Twitter. Pe- pe- oh, is it? Yeah, that's a joke where people say, uh... yeah, they say that for a lot of a lot of movies. But I believe it, actually. <laughs> I've often been at movies where, like, an, an old lady, this always happens at the Varsity, because that's the theater where all the old people go, where an old lady will be- Because it's all the old rich people. And, and she'll actually be, like, saying the plot to her out of, <laughs> oh, sorry, her hard of hearing husband- well, that's fine. You know, he doesn't understand. Well, no, I don't want to listen. Well, actually, sorry. I, I'm, sweet. I, I'm, I'm, I'm equivocating a lot. Sometimes when people talk a lot during a movie, it almost feels like, oh, I'm getting like an extra, like a mystery science theater type experience where no. you're hearing this weird meta commentary throughout the movie. Don't like oh, it. Oh, this, this is what watching Spotlight is like if an old woman <laughs> is saying the plot to her husband. <laughs> Uh, it usually depends like if it's a movie i hate i'm more inclined to enjoy it but if it's a movie that you want to enjoy and are getting into right i remember a friend said that he went to go see james bond and the person behind him every time uh james bond would say his name the guy would go bond james bond (laughs) no matter what happened we saw uh, king kong versus godzilla the carlton not long ago where there was this really ornery man who kept who kept yelling Godzilla's gonna win <laughs> yes he was very like where is Godzilla yeah. he was very angry at the movie that he was watching yeah but if we can't enjoy we're not old enough to be the person talking in the theater and we're not young enough to be playing on our phones where are we now Will what place do we have in movie theaters I mean, I wonder that way just with my life in general, like, you know, no longer a boy, not not yet a man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what to do with your life. Yeah. Because all we're doing is talking to this podcast that no one's even listening to anymore because it's after the song. They've yeah. already turned it off. Like, you know, as I, as I go further into my late 20s, it's like, <laughs> what am I? Like, is it time to settle down? You know, you know what it's time to do? It's time just to go to sleep. Yeah. 